Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry, and with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. This week we've been looking at an article in the December 2022 edition of the Leahona Magazine, an article titled, What the First Vision Reveals About the Father and the Son. It was written by Mark A. Matthews, an LDS educator. He's an adjunct BYU professor, but he works in the church with their seminaries and institute classes. We want to continue this thought that he had regarding Genesis 127, where it talks about, let us make man in our image, and he assumes that that word image talks about God having a physical form. And this is where we begin on the second column of page U6. But when it comes to the first vision, this is no small issue at all. And I think, Eric, we need to read again one of the statements that you read earlier by Gordon B. Hinckley, but there was another comment that Gordon B. Hinckley made on the importance of the first vision. And of course, Gordon B. Hinckley was the 15th president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This one is found teachings of Gordon B. Hinckley, page 227. He said, that becomes the hinge pin on which this whole cause turns. If the first vision was true, if it actually happened, then the Book of Mormon is true. Then we have the priesthood. Then we have the church organization and all the other keys and blessings of authority, which we say we have. If the first vision did not occur, then we are involved in a great sham. It is just that simple. He also said in a general conference in October of 1961, page, and this is conference reports, page 116, I would like to say that this cause is either true or false. Either this is the kingdom of God or it is a sham and a delusion. Either Joseph talked with the Father and the Son, or he did not. If he did not, we are engaged in blasphemy. I've said many times on this show, whenever we've cited that statement from Gordon B. Hinckley, why does he use the word blasphemy? Why didn't he just say we got it wrong, or we made a mistake? But no, he uses the word blasphemy. I think this article perhaps could prove what Hinckley was talking about. Because some of the things that Mr. Matthew says in this article, if he's wrong in his presupposition that God has a body of flesh and bones and so forth, he is engaged in blasphemy because he's making it appear that all the attributes of God regarding his compassion and his love for his creation cannot possibly be true. Is that really what he's implying? Because he certainly seems to want to make the case that those attributes only become real to the creation, us as humans, if God has a body of flesh and bones. And it's all centered, Bill, on Joseph Smith. I'm going to give you a couple other short quotes from Gordon Hinckley. This comes from an Ensign Conference Edition, November 2002, page 80. He says, We declare without equivocation that God the Father and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, appeared in person to the boy Joseph Smith. And then he said in another general conference, this is a conference edition of the Ensign, May 2005, page 81, I submit that in the short time of that remarkable vision, Joseph learned more concerning deity than all of the scholars and clerics of the past. You hear what he just said? 
all of the history, all of the pastors, all of the church leaders, they didn't get it right. We have to rely on Joseph Smith. Matthews goes on in his article to say, although viewing God as a loving, approachable, personal being may seem common today, it was not the common view of many Christian churches in Joseph's day. We can go back and look at a lot of the sermons that were given by various Christian pastors during Joseph Smith's time, and there were many pastors who were speaking about the very issues that we are speaking about, about God being a compassionate, loving God who is concerned for his people. There may be people who portrayed God as a, a nothing but a very stern, vindictive, punitive type of God. But just because you have people getting it wrong doesn't change God's attributes. You can believe something inaccurately, but that's not going to change God in his person. Although the God of Mormonism, you might say, he's pretty vindictive. He talks about things in the Doctrine and Covenants, for instance, that if you don't do what I say, I'm going to destroy you. He even made that threat to Joseph Smith's wife, Emma, if she refused to embrace all the wives that God allegedly gave to her husband, Joseph Smith. So how does that fit this attribute that Matthews is trying to portray here? He goes on to say, contrary to these views of God as a distant and impersonal being, the first vision revealed that God loves us, knows us by name, and personally answers our prayers without upbraiding us. See Joseph Smith History, chapter 1, 25 through 26. See, this is where I think Mr. Matthews is treading on some very dangerous ground. Because if he is going to imply that God has to have a body of flesh and bones in order to prevent him from being a distant and personal being who loves us, knows us by name, and personally answers our prayers, if you're going to say he doesn't have a body, that he doesn't have those attributes, this is where the blasphemy comes in. Because we as Christians would say, every one of those attributes we can defend by merely going to Scripture to support that that is how God is. We don't need him showing up in a body of flesh and bones in order for those attributes to be untrue. What does that say about the Holy Ghost, who does not have a body? Because he doesn't have a body, then, is he a distant and impersonal being? Is he someone who doesn't really know us by name? I, I think that's a problem. You bring up a good point, Eric, because... The Holy Spirit is known as the Comforter. Well, the Holy Spirit, even in Mormon theology, doesn't have a tangible body of flesh and bones. So does that mean he's less adequate at comforting us? Should he have a body like God the Father? When the Bible speaks of God's love for us, his care for us, such as 1 Peter 5, 7, he cares for us. When it speaks about his love for his creation, his love for his people, and the fact that he knows us, and how he personally answers our prayers. The Bible speaks of all those things regarding God. To conclude he doesn't have a body of flesh and bones does not make any of those attributes any less important to us as believers, because it doesn't change who God is. But Matthews is giving the impression that he has to have this body of flesh and bones. He had to show up in a body to Joseph Smith in order for these attributes to kick in and actually be true. You mentioned prayer. Obviously, the Bible talks about the ability for us to lay our request before God, and he hears us. Let me just give you a few. Jeremiah 29, 12. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, 
and I will listen to you. Job 33, 26, that he will pray to God and he will accept him, that he may see his faith with joy and he may restore his righteousness to man. How about Psalm 91, 15, where God is speaking? He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. That's just, those are just three of many, many verses where God shows care for his people. Matthews goes on to say the implications of these truths are profound. If God is a loving personal being who looks like us rather than a distant spirit essence without form or feelings, then it points to the possibility that God could actually be our literal Father in heaven. Oh my. This is why, again, I think Hinckley said what he said. This is an example of that. The implications of these truths are profound, Matthew says. If God is a loving personal being who looks like us rather than a distant spirit essence without form or feelings? Do you see how he wants God to look like us? Where in the world does he get the idea that God looks like we are? The image of God is not talking about the the way that God appears. But I think what's scary, though, Eric, is that Mr. Matthews, like many Latter-day Saints, draws this conclusion that if God doesn't look like us, if he's not a big one of us, then somehow he doesn't have feelings, or at least proper feelings for us. He can only have the feelings towards us that we need if he has a body. But wait, he expresses his feelings for us in his word. It doesn't matter to me personally if he doesn't look like me. It doesn't matter to me personally if he's not a big one of me. The fact that he expresses those emotions and those attributes towards me as his creation is enough for me. But apparently it wouldn't be enough for people like Mark Matthews unless he has a body of flesh and bones. And I think this goes back to what Gordon B. Hinckley meant when he said, if we're wrong— we are engaged in blasphemy. I think a lot of this is tied up in this idea that God was once as we are, a man in another realm, human being with body of flesh and bones, and that we have the potential to become gods in exaltation in the celestial kingdom, because that is very important in Mormonism. You have to become your own God, and that's what Mormons look forward to. Then Mr. Matthews goes on to take what I think is a swipe at our belief that God creates things out of nothing, or creatio ex nihilo. He says, humankind, Christians came to believe, was created from nothing. God was not a craftsman who refashioned existing materials, but wholly different and apart from his creation, mysterious and unknowable. What bothers me with that sentence, Eric, is he he makes it sound like A God who is mysterious and unknowable is a bad thing. I don't think I really want to know everything about God. If I know and understand everything about God, that kind of puts me on the same level as God. I like the fact, personally, that God tells me, my ways are not your ways. Our wisdom is foolishness when it comes to God. But when he says, Christians came to believe that humankind was created from nothing. God was not a craftsman who refashioned existing materials. 
In Mormonism, they believe that he merely reorganizes matter, and Mormons are led to believe that should they also qualify to become a god, they will have this ability to reorganize matter and create worlds or earths for them to populate and to rule over. But this doesn't answer the question. If you're going to look at mystery and things being unknowable as something that may be negative, then explain to me, where did this material come from that needed to be refashioned? Did it exist prior to God being God? If so, what does that say about God's eternal nature? You seem to be admitting that he obviously wasn't eternally God, which of course they do in other places. I'm just giving this as another example of that. But this idea of refashioning existing materials, Mormonism has taught that matter has always existed, that matter existed before God became God. Now, which God, they don't really tell us because they don't even know who the first God is, but certainly the one they are worshiping now is not the original God that started it all. And I've said many times to Latter-day Saints, if I'm going to worship a God, I want to worship the God that started it all. That is definitely not the God of Mormonism. And any Latter-day Saint that knows even the basics of their faith would have to agree with me. They are worshiping some great, 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 dot, 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 grandson of the first God who they don't even know. I believe that's the one the Bible talks about, is the God who created it all. The God who was always God, from everlasting, to everlasting, according to Psalm 90, verse 2. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism.